Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. thankful that got this opportunity to spread the word of God the writer said there is no greater honor if you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 got my OCD I gotta get this just right so it'll take me a second you can blame my mom for my OCD. Lord knows I didn't get it from dad. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you'll put down your Bibles, but lift up your hands, we're going to preach on heaven's heartbeat tonight. Let's just say, God, would you move through us tonight? Would you move through us, God, that you would have your way, Lord, through each and every one of us? Lord, we pray that your spirit would flow, oh God. Open up our ears that we may hear the word, but open up our hearts that we may take in the word. We're praying for fresh anointing in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. So this here that we just read, this is the one and only scriptures in the entire Bible. 66 books, 1,189 chapters. 31,173 verses, 774,746 words, and only Matthew 11 and 29 tells us what the heart of Christ is like. What the heart of Christ is like, and that is gentle and lowly. Now, God has been given many attributes. God is a lot of things to us especially to the church. The Bible tells us of His holiness. How many believe God to be holy? How about His graciousness? That He is infinite. My God is all-knowing. My God is almighty. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. He is gracious to those. He is a mystery that we are here to decipher. He is one Lord. He is one King. He is the provider. He is the protector about His righteousness. He is sovereign. He is unchanging. He is unending. Do you agree with that about our God 
All of these things are true. However, they are simply just the attributes of God. But when it comes to his heartbeat, to the heartbeat of heaven, it does not say any of those things. It just tells us that the very heart of God is gentle and lowly. This has the power that it does because when it talks about the heart of something in the word of God, it speaks of the very center of that being. It speaks of what makes that being up. It's its soul. It's its very essence. And at the heart of God, he is gentle and he is lowly. At the very center of God, it is not wrath. It is not power. It is not mercy. It is not jealousy. But it is love. Love is at the very heart of God. It is not His overwhelming power. It is not His overwhelming wisdom. It is not His jealousy or His strength or His knowledge, but it is simply His love. In Exodus, we see something that would become very influential in the children of Israel. If you'll open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 40 and verse number 12. And the Bible says, And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle and of the congregation and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him and that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So right, if we do a little preaching, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of preaching, is that all right tonight? All right. So this is where we first see God set up the priesthood on earth. It's here in Exodus. In the last few chapters of Exodus, or the book of the great exit from Egypt, we see God telling the people to do all sorts of things. We see God telling them to do great things now that they have just exited the slavery that they were in. They started the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus 35. And then with the building of the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 37. This would represent the very presence of God. Then onto the table which would hold the shoe bread. That would represent the very word of God. How many are thankful for our shoe bread? This is what we partake in. This is the bread of life. It is the word of God. Then on to the making of the lampstand. This would light the way into the very presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there is no room for darkness at all. Then we would go on to the altar of incense. This would be a place of repentance in the tabernacle. Which would turn also to be a place of worship where you would sit and repent of your sins at the very same breath of repentance, you would begin to worship God. It would also be the last thing before you entered into the veil which led you into the Holy of Holies like we were in just a little bit ago. After that, God tells man just how to create the altar for the burnt sacrifices. 
This is where you would bring your sacrifices unto God, which represented the burning of your sins. As that animal died and bled and it burned up, it would burn away your sins. It was every sin you would commit. You would bring that sacrifice and as it bled, that blood would wash away your sins and that burnt sacrifice would take your place for you. This dates back to when Adam and Eve sinned against God back in Genesis. Before God had kicked them out of the garden, he made them wear coats. Because when they sinned, they knew they had done wrong, so they tried to make their own garments. But it wasn't enough. Church, you and I cannot forgive our own sins. You and I cannot forgive each other's sins. But there is only God that can make a way for forgiveness, for true repentance. For sin to truly be atoned, for to tr truly be forgiven, something had to die to cover that sin in blood. Yes. Then we go on to the laver, and then the court. That is where the people would enter into the tabernacle. The laver stood in the middle of the court. This would represent baptism in the tabernacle. They would look at the surface and the surface would be like a mirror. This would be a time of self-reflection. To wash away any unclean thing that was on your person before you entered into the tabernacle. This is where you would judge yourself and wash away your uncleanliness. Then the writer in Exodus 38 tells us just what kind of materials were used to build the tabernacle for the people. Now, in that chapter, there's just so much that could be unpacked about the materials, what was used to construct the tabernacle, what they represented. There's so much to understand about each and every item that we could, could, we could spend days deciphering and decrypting and researching just trying to understand what it could mean. Trying to understand the vast knowledge hidden in these chapters. However, I want to go to Exodus chapter 39 and verse 42. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it. And Moses blessed them. So the people did everything God had told them to do, exactly how he told them to do it. They obeyed every word, every bit, every material, every way it was supposed to be done. They obeyed it. And because of that, they were blessed. Now that all of this is in place, God needed someone to work in the tabernacle. Someone say the priesthood. This was someone to be responsible in Exodus 40 and uh, verse number 12, and thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me the priest's office. Now look at this. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them and thou didst anoint their father. And that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. The priesthood would withstand the generations. Somebody say amen. So this is where we finally see the ones who would be the workers within the tabernacle. 
These would be the ones who would help the people offer their sacrifices unto God. They would help them to the table of shoe bread. They would usher them to the laver. They would walk them to the altar of incense. They would help them with the altar of sacrifice and finally usher them into the holy of holies. This was the very job of the priesthood. I want you to remember this. We could confine it to one specific thing, that the very job of the priesthood was to be the representative of man to God. Everybody say man to God. That was the job of the priesthood, was to be the representative. They would be the ones who would communicate to God on the behalf of man. They would send up the sacrifices so that they could be a representative of a man and talk to God and say, God, so-and-so has repented of their sins. So-and-so has put this sacrifice on the altar. They were the representative of man to God. Now I want you to jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse number 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together. And came to Samuel under Raymond and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king. Everybody say, make us a king. Make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. So now we see that the nation of Israel demanded that they would receive a king. It wasn't the plan. Israel didn't need a king. They had a king, and his name was God. But they decided that they wanted to be like everybody else. Oh, just give us a king. Give us somebody who can judge us. Everyone else has one. I think we should too. The world has kings, so we should have a king too. The world has judges, so we need someone to judge us too. Samuel 8 and 7 says, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee. This is God speaking to Samuel. They have not rejected thee. They've rejected me. That I should not reign over them. So the people believe that instead of God ruling over them, their creator, their redeemer, their freer, the one that set them free from captivity, the one that set up the priesthood, they thought that he wasn't fit to be king. They thought that man could replace him. The one that created the heavens and the stars. And not good enough. It's whatever, you know. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. Then Samuel took the vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, It is not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance. Samuel has now anointed Saul. So all of this work to find a king, all of this searching, even though the man of God knew it was not in the best interest of the children of Israel. However, God stepped back and allowed it to happen. You see, when man goes the wrong way, God stepped back. When sin is introduced, God has to step back because God cannot be in the same place of sin. This is the second title I want us to focus on tonight. Just as the priest would be the representative of man to God, the king would represent God to man. So the priests would stand in man's stead to God, 
and the king would stand in God's stead to man. Now, when the priests would speak, they spoke as ambassadors of man to God. They would speak and act in favor of man to the Almighty. But when the king would speak, he would speak as God to the people. The king was to hear from the Lord and then relay those messages to the people that he ruled over. This now brings us to our main point. God created the position of the priesthood so that the people of God would have a way to connect to God That the people of God would have a way to connect to God for generations to come. That is why Aaron's sons were anointed as well. Because the priesthood was set up for generations. We read that, amen? Amen. God also created the position of the king so that he would have a channel that he could work through to his people. You see, they didn't want God, so God used what they didn't want. They used Saul to get his word to the people. The priest would stand with you as your defender in judgment. They stood as proof of your repentance, as proof of your sacrifice, as proof of your baptism, because that was what they were created to do. And the king would stand as judge. He would decide what happened to you. He represented the one who would decide what would happen to you for your sins. But I've got something to show you in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. I want to read it from the ESV again. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. So when Jesus was born and he became the fulfillment of prophecies, as he walked onto the earth, he became what man would need. He became my high priest I didn't need Aaron anymore I didn't need any of his sons because Jesus would come to this world and fulfill that which man could not he would become the perfect high priest he would become the perfect representative of man to God he would be the embodiment of generations and generations of men that would never be able to reach the level that Aaron could never reach, that his sons could never reach, and that level would be perfection. All of the priests before Christ and even after them would fall short. But we now have a high priest. Revelations 19 and 13. He is clothed in a robe and dipped with blood. And the name by which he is called is the very word of God. Revelations 19 and 16. On his robe and on his thigh he has written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only is he my high priest, but he is my king. Not only is he my priesthood, not only is he a better representative than Aaron, than his sons, than Moses, than David, but he is a better king than Saul could ever be, than David could ever be, than Solomon could ever be. So we first see the importance of the priesthood. Then we find out that Jesus came to this world to be the high priest. And now we are able to see that not only is he my high priest, but he is my king. 
Not only is he my king, but he is king of kings. Not only is he king of kings, but he's lord of lords. No matter whatever king in lowercase k has stood on earth, there is a God in heaven who stands over that king, who stands over rulers, who stands over Democrats and stands over Republicans and stands over governments. We finally get to see what had been spoken of for so long. Man has waited and waited. In the Old Testament, the people would only just have to deal with settling with a man. You see, every time someone in the Old Testament would want to communicate with God, they had to go to the priest. Could you imagine every time that you just wanted to pray, you had to come to pastor. Say, pastor, can you help me pray for this? Pastor Dylan, can you help me pray for this? Bishop, can you help me pray for this? Can you do this for me? Could you imagine in the middle of a car accident that you couldn't be able to call on a name, but you and I have an ability because there was a God who decided to step into humanity and come to this earth so that we didn't need to come to a priest anymore. That we could just mention the name, J-E-S-U-S. That in my time of need, I don't need to come to an altar and bring a sacrifice. I don't need to do any of those things. I don't need to come to pastor, but I can just say the name of Jesus. I can say the name of my high priest. I can say the name of my king. I wish somebody would understand what I'm trying to say tonight. That every time someone would want to get connected to God, they had to go through someone else. But now it is channeled through something else. Now the king is here. The Messiah is here. Not just any king, but he is king of kings. This wasn't someone like Saul, nor David, nor Solomon, nor Absalom. No, this king would be like unlike any other king. This king would be unlike matched to this one this was no ordinary king because king of kings this was jesus the messiah my king walks on water my king feeds the thousands my king just speaks and the demons tremble my king would speak and healing would come my king spat in the ground and blinded eyes would see my king would walk into a grave by himself of a man named lazarus and he walked out alone my king would command his disciples to row across the seas and a raging storm would happen and he came to them walking on the water my king would redeem the whore named Mary my king would willingly put his life down on a cross my king walked into a grave and three days later he came walking out now you tell me could Buddha do that could Krishna do that no 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 my king is unlike any other king because on his thigh it is written king of kings and lord of lords As far as I know, earthly kings are still in their graves. Earthly kings ruling ended with their death. But I come to tell you, if it is possible, God's ruling extended and went greater the moment he died. 
because now you and I have access to something that the Old Testament did not have access to, and that is the name of Jesus. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and look at this, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I wonder if someone could lift up their hands and worship my King, your King. Come on, lift your voices right now and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because my King is still alive. I'm sorry to break the news to you, church, but my hope is not in a presidency. My hope wasn't in Trump, and it's sure not in Biden. My hope is not in the Republican Party, but it's not also in the Democrat Party. Man, I've come to tell you my hope is not on a government system. My hope is not built on the ideologies of man. My hope is not in the education of man. My hope is not in the popularity of man. Kingdoms will come and go. They always have. Governments will come and go. They always have. I've come to tell you one day America will come and it will go because they always have. People will come and go. It always has but look what Jesus spoke to Peter I speak to you today in Matthew 16 and 18 and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it come on somebody the moment Jesus died, his kingdom extended. Because now, look at the kingdom mindset people that are walking the streets today. If you want to understand how kingdoms can fall, just understand that Britain, that England, once held, what, probably a third of the world. They have now diminished to a land smaller than the state of Michigan. Kingdoms will come and go. They always have. So yes, my faith is not in man, but it is in Jesus Christ, who is my high priest. And he is my king. I accept Jesus as my high priest. And he is my king. But what is the importance of that? So what if he is my high priest? And what if he is my king? Because as our high priest, Jesus has now become man's representative to God. And in the same embodiment, the same spirit, the same soul, standing as king of kings, he also is God's representative to man. So what does this all mean? What does that even mean, David? Well, I want you to think of it like a courtroom. Anybody remember the Carmen song, The Courtroom? That dude was hype. 
You stand there. I stand there as a sinner. I've done horrible, terrible things. I've sinned against man and I've sinned against God. Evil things that I've done. I've done terrible things. Maybe you feel like that tonight. You've done terrible things. God's moving and you didn't feel a thing. God moved through this entire service and you haven't felt a drop of the Holy Spirit. You feel dirty, unclean. Like, I just don't even feel anything. You stand there that you've sinned so much, you just feel numb to this point. Like that sin has just built a blockade around you. Like it's built walls around you that the sin has and you just can't feel anything. So you stand there as the sinner and the prosecutor now walks in. Lucifer, as we learned about this morning with a wonderful message by Pastor Dylan, Satan stands there demanding that you be judged by the full extent of the law. He declares that you deserve to die. He wants you to rot and burn in hell. He wants you to forever fall in the never-ending pit that also awaits him. You see, Satan just doesn't want to be alone. That's his only reason he's done all of this. The reason he fell from heaven is because he didn't want to be alone. The reason he's going to hell is because he didn't want to be alone. He points out every sin you have ever committed. Like a list, he opens it up. You did this, you did that. On this day, you did this. On this day, you did that. On this day, you looked at pornography. On that day, you lied. On this day, you cheated. On that day, you drank alcohol. On this day, you smoked cigarettes. And on that day, you doubted God. On this day, you were fearful. On that day, you had anxiety. On this day, you had depression. Every lie, every look, every word, every thought, every temptation, Satan, the prosecutor, has every sin you have ever committed written down and he's shoving it in your face. Look at this. Look at that. You evil, rotten sinner, you deserve to die. You deserve hell. This is what you deserve. You deserve the lashing. You deserve the burning of the tongue. You deserve this. You feel his anger and his rage come against you. How in the world could anyone ever think else of you? And then a dirty, rotten sinner. You feel worthless. You feel evil. You feel unloved. You feel hated. You feel like nobody needs you. Nobody wants you. Because what all evil have you done? But there stands your defense attorney. This is the one who stands in your defense. Psalms 59 and verse 16. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and my refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. This is where we see the nature of God. We get to see the attribute of his wonderfulness. We see his love. 
after everything that the enemy has said about you, even the true things, even the things he's lied about, as a witness to your repentance. He watched you partake in his word. Jesus saw you as you were faithful to church. He saw you in your faithfulness and tithes and offering. Even when you didn't know when bills would be paid and you paid in tithes and offering anyway. He saw it all. He watched as you placed God and became the center of your life. Just as the tabernacle sat in the center of the camp. He watched from his throne in heaven as you entered into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Come on somebody. He watched it all. He watched you light your way with the light of the word of God. And then he watched as you looked in the mirroring effect in the labor and you self-examined yourself and washed away your sins. He saw you listen and act on the word of God that is preached and taught from this pulpit every Sunday and every Tuesday. God has seen it all and he stands in your defense. So he's seen you do everything. You walked into the tabernacle. You've seen the labor. He's watched you go into the altar of incense, into his presence. He saw you partake of the shoot bread. And he saw you enter into the holy of holies. But take a few steps back. What about the altar of sacrifice? Where is your sacrifice? What sacrifice have you brought? John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Hebrews 9 and 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto thee that look for him shall appear in the second time without sin unto salvation. Oh, Jesus. Jesus was our sacrifice. He has such a love for us that he gave his life as a payment for our sins. Just as the animal that had to die for Adam and Eve in the garden. He died for you and for me. You want to know what heaven's heartbeat is? It's simply that of love. Heaven's heartbeat, God's heartbeat, is love. A lot of people don't care for the song titled Reckless Love, but I just think it's so fitting for God. For all that I've been accused of, all that I have committed with sin, with atrocities, with abominations, whatever it is that you've done, for Him to be hung on a tree, and as He breathes His last breath, he looks forward in the eons of time and he sees you and he sees me and he sees us not in our high points, but he sees us in our low points, in our fearful, in our undoubting, in our hatred, in our anger, in our sin, in our atrocities. He didn't see us when we're leading worship. He didn't see us whenever we're worshiping in the presence of God. No, he saw me at my lowest point and he said it was worth it all. Amen. I don't know if you're feeling what I'm trying to convey unto you. That he saw you at his, your lowest point and said it was worth it all. 
He looked at you and thought it was worth the pain. He looked at you and thought you were worth the lashings of the cat of nine tails. He looked at you and thought you were worth the crown of thorns. He thought of you while he put the nails into his hands and to his feet. He could have called upon a hundred thousand angels to carry him away at that moment. But he didn't because he saw this group of people. The hurt, the aching, the unlovable, the worthless, the sinner. And he said it was worth every bit of pain. Every agony, every drop of blood, it was worth it all. We stand to your feet right now as music comes down. So you stand as the sinner and the accused. Satan stands as the prosecutor. Jesus stands as your defense. But what about our judge? Jesus Christ stands as my defense and my judge. He hears every word that the enemy has to say about you. But he comes to the same verdict every single time it happens. And that verdict is love. When I come to God, every sin is met with undying love. Every lie is met with overwhelming love. Every diction is met with unending love. Because at the very center of God, it is not a pointed finger. It is not anger. But it is a man sitting with open arms with love in his heart. As king of kings hanging on a cross, he declared in John 19 and 30, it is finished. As the high priest, he willingly laid his life on the altar of sacrifice for you and for me as a spotless lamb, not just for preachers, not just for bishops, not just for the perfect saints, because God knows there's not a single one of us. A spotless sacrifice for all. And as king, he declared his perfect love over every living creature. Are you thankful for the love of Jesus Christ? If you need his love just one more time, why don't you step out right now? Come to these altars and seek the love of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.